my historical nerd friends. This is Historical AF. I'm Keena. And I'm Kat, formerly known as Katrina. <laughs> we are a historian and a special guest bringing you the morbid and historical movie nugs you never knew you needed straight to your ear holes. I'm so excited to have Katrina here. I'm the only person that calls her Katrina. That's why she says that. <laughs> I've known Kat. You're probably one of my oldest adult friends. We met Almost in- 20 years. The early 2000s. <laughs> yeah, almost 20 years. God, yeah. What was it, like 2003? Four? 2004. Four. Yeah. No, it, no, it was fall 2003. Because you're a year under us. Yeah. Me and Banana. Yeah. Oh, Banana. Yeah, so I... you. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that words. Katrina was on one of our mini gabs and I kind of talked about it, but we met in college and I used to go hang out at her college. I did not go to said college. I was just always there. <laughs> Pretty sure they gave you a degree anyway. <laughs> I know. So I had a friend that I worked with at a movie theater and she went to college with them and I went and visited and then she turned out to suck and then I just adopted her two friends and now they're my besties. So <laughs> the way we see it, we got you in the divorce. Yes. And it was a really fair trade, I think. <laughs> I think so, too. You see that toxic person? You just walk the other way. Have you seen that TikTok or YouTube video? She's also pregnant I right do now. Too. She, everybody is. Mandy Moore, the singer, is pregnant. We're actually doing the same week. And I'm like, why does my pregnancy have to be about you, you celebrity? Uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Katrina's pregnant. <laughs> There's a human. We always talk about how 2020 has been a son of a bitch, but it's been increasingly a bastard to you because your wedding was supposed to be in. So this is so this is how we started our baby announcement when we made it known to the world. My husband and I, we've been together, we were together six years when we bought a house. We were together six years and three months when we got engaged. And then did not want to put all of our wedding on a credit card was like, we'll have an 18 month long engagement. So like 2020 started and I'm like, yeah, the countdown's on like bridesmaids, get your dresses and, you know, pay the caterer and all that stuff. Right. And then I have my bridal shower and then a week later, or not even a week later, four days later, I have to reschedule my wedding for the first time. (laughs) So we reschedule it. And then, but we decided we were going to legally get married because we just, that's what we wanted to do. And we eloped on a street corner and jumped <laughs> across, across the street and got married. And there was yeah, a motorcycle exactly. gang and our dogs were there. And it was amazing. And I put it on Facebook. And then a month later, I decided it was time to take pregnancy tests after having like six failed ones three days before. And according to my husband, the sound that came out of my mouth was a Jewish death whale. <laughs> <laughs> and I threw a stick at him. And so, like, we planned for a big wedding, big honeymoon, you know, just our big 40th for him, start a family. And of all the things that did not happen in 2020, I'm glad this is the one that did. Yeah. So, Fail yeah, well. I think one of the reasons we're such good friends is that we've bonded over movies and just our nerdiness and Lots our vocabulary being mostly movie quotes. Almost <laughs> entirely. Too, mostly movie. Yeah, almost <laughs> entirely movie. Like, there was that one, like, month when we lived together where I think it was just Moulin Rouge. Like, oh, yes. that, that was I just, it. 
watched that recently and made Seek watch it with yeah. me and I'm blubbering and he's like, I don't get it. You get it? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't get why you're crying. What's your favorite movie? It's <laughs> like the hardest <laughs> question ever. Seriously? <laughs> like, okay. No, this isn't really a hard question. There are like movies. I'm sorry. There is a squirrel like staring me down because I'm. I, we have bay windows and I, he's like staring me down in the tree right out here um so my favorite movie so like there's like core movies that like if it's on i will sit down i will stop whatever it is i'm doing and i will sit down and watch it but i think because it has like good memories for me with my mom from when i was little like mary poppins like hands down it's mary poppins like when i'm sick i put on mary poppins because that's what my mom did but I mean, like, there's some, there's some, like, try and true that I've seen, like, over and over, like, a ridiculous, like, mannequin. Like, you want to go back to the 80s? Mannequin. <laughs> Just saying. Demolition Man. That's a good one. The Replacements with Keanu Reeves. Football movie. It actually, it might help you learn sports ball. Um, I don't want to learn sports ball. He hates it, too. <laughs> We're a perfect match. What? Oh, okay. Never mind, then. Recently, I added the original movie or version of Catch Twenty Two. My it's my favorite book, and my husband made me watch the movie, and I was like, "Thank you for making me watch that." (laughs) Like, very, it's not very often I thank a person for making me watch something, but that one's good. A Walk to Remember is a good one, Mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. History of the World Part One. I'm still holding out for Part Two. He's alive. He's had downtime. (laughs) Mel Brooks. This could be its own podcast, which is naming old movies. Anything Mel Brooks, honestly. Princess Bride is definitely my favorite. The original producers. Oh, just saying. Yeah. Was there Omar Stahl and Gene Wilder? Just saying. Yes. Yes. Galaxy Quest. Yes. Yes. That's a good one. Yeah. We got Um, the comments going here. Goonies. Goonies is a given. Like, if you're born after 1980, like 1980 and ever, Goonies is a given. Like they'll take away your what? What are we millennials? You know, I don't know what we are, but they'll take away that card. We're elder millennials. Elder, my, you know what? It's bad enough my pregnancy is geriatric. <laughs> don't call me an elder millennial. Oh, reach through this. I know where you. I don't know where you live, but if I did, <laughs> she does not. You need it on Netflix. Watch Eliza Schlesling, Schlesinger, Schlesinger. She has a Schlesinger. comedy bit. <laughs> called elder millennial and she talks about how we are wise and we are not like the young fucks and the millennials because there is a very it's like 24 to 38 i think is our range so we are not like the young ones. Of a range. <laughs> I, i'm just saying <laughs> all right so before we can go on forever about our movies which i know we're gonna talk about our favorite movies while we're talking about movies so It'll continue, but we're going to start with uh, cats because it's morbid, and then hopefully I can lighten things up just a little bit. Yeah, so being pregnant, I've gone down this um, true crime rabbit hole, and one night I found on the YouTube this video that a makeup artist person in the UK did. Uh, No, this isn't Bailey. I love Bailey. This is another chick. Uh, about the story and what was so like crazy to me is like I know as an adult like I'd heard like oh that actress passed away but whenever you hear like something like that you you think of like oh as an adult oh no 
this is a beloved actress who voiced some beloved characters of us as children in some probably some of our favorite cartoon movies murdered oh no by her father oh no yeah hormones weird right <laughs> should have known I wasn't having a girl because I was okay with this story like it didn't really tear me up I was just like how oh. I think it's an interesting story because it's like the cusp of the American dream mm-hmm. and then it's like there were all these warning signs and nobody took it seriously oh that's the and point. so yes I am talking about the death of Judith Barcy, who voiced Ducky and then the little girl in All Dogs Go to Heaven. She was in, I mean, her her IMDb in the, I think, six short years that she was working is massive because she looked younger than her age. She was cast as a kid because, you know, when you're six and you look four and you can create full sentences they're going to cast you over an actual four-year-old, right? So she had these credits that were like, she was on St. Elsewhere. Like I said, she was in Jaws. She voiced Ducky. She was the lead voice in All Dogs Go to Heaven. In fact, that was her last movie. They did not do re-edits because obviously they couldn't. Like it was her raw recording in that movie. There was no re re-recording of any of her vocals or anything like that her story it really starts with her parents they're both immigrants from eastern europe they they met at a bar her dad had actually been previously married but uh had moved to la from new york where he met judith's mother and he became successful and they ended up having judith and it was on a lark. I, I think her mother had taken her ice skating and there was a casting director there working on a commercial who approached her mother and said, here's my number. I'm casting for a commercial next week. Please come. Oh, it's wow. like a guarantee. Yeah. So she goes the next week. She gets casted in a commercial. Like she did like all of like the McDonald's com- commercials during that time. Like she was like, it was like a staple. She gets cast in that commercial, and then she begins to get casted more and more. She's auditioning for, you know, small TV bits. And through that networking, she starts landing, you know, big roles in big movies. Some of them, like I said, she was in an an episode of The Twilight Zone. She was in two episodes of The Love Boat. She was on an episode or two episodes uh, of The Tracy Ullman Show. Oh, wow. Um, but her last work was as the voice of Amory and All Dogs Go to Heaven. So once Judith became successful, her parents, they had originally lived in a really teeny tiny apartment in L.A. When she began to earn money, they were able to buy property in a really nice suburb in Los Angeles, not too far from Studio City. And there came a point where her success began to bother her father. And he began to take it out on his wife because in a sense, he saw her as being the catalyst for this. He, he would, at the, it's still at this point, he would treat his daughter well, but his wife kind of bore the brunt of it. It then became known that he had an ex-wife and two other children. And um, that ex-wife actually contacted his current wife, Judith's mother, once Judith became successful and warned her, like, this is not going to end well for you. You oh, need wow. to get out. So. Judith was still going to school like a normal child and acting in between. 
No one at school picked up on anything the first few years. When she became really successful, her dad then began to focus on her. And he would, like, if they would leave to go for a shoot, he would literally tell her, if you don't come back, I will find you. I mean, things like that to a child. Yes. That's so scary. Six, seven years old. Yeah. So whenever she filmed Jaws, they had to go down to the Bahamas. And at this point, it had been going on for a while. Child Protective Services had actually been pulled in. Judith had lost it at an audition, just like cried and just let it all out. Her agent pulled her aside, filed a report, sent her to therapy. Child Protective Services did a home visit, assumed everything was fine. Oh, no. And done. Right. Mom had mom had had basically said, "I I know the situation's bad, but I have an apartment. I've been saving money. We're 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 getting to a point where we can get there." And they didn't verify, they didn't follow up to see if they'd moved out of the house or anything like that. So they go down to film Jaws, and Jaws, I think it was Jaws three or Jaws Revenge, and they're in the Bahamas. And again, before they leave, her dad tells her, "If you don't come back, I'll find you." And while they're there, her mom kind of warms up to the other women on on set and kind of lets them know what's going on. And they're like, you need to do it. You need to get out. You know, they're really building her up and putting her in a mindset of, I can do this. I can do this. Mm-hmm. And after a few days, she just starts talking back or start talking like she's going to go back to them. You know, by the end of that shoot, they, they kind of felt like there was no hope. They kind of stopped, you know, urging her to do this. So they get back stateside and she spends time with family, I believe in like the New York area and had not approved this with her husband. And so after a few days, he finds out where she's at and asks to speak to Judith and literally just says, remember what I told you. And at that point, Judith tells her mother everything. So they pack up go back home and they live life as normal. She does have an apartment, a secret apartment, and she is stashing away. At this point, Judith's losing weight. She's losing sleep. People at school are starting to notice, but because CPS has already said it's an okay situation and they're about to remove themselves from it, they're not going to do it. They're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. So she gets the part for all dogs go to heaven. She does all the recording work, but her and her mother do start spending time at the apartment during the day so that Judith can become acclimated. But they, at night, they go back to their family home. She didn't want to give up the family home. You know, Judith worked for that. You know, that was Judith. She didn't want to give, you know, take her daughter from that, but her husband was not going to let her have it easily. Mm-hmm. At some point, her husband gets tipped off that there's another place, another location. They slowly started boxing up stuff and taking it he notices boxes in the car and confronts his wife and she says oh no it's a friend and i'm taking that stuff so she's moved and he acts like he buys it but he doesn't he follows her so at that point that location's compromised oh, you know no. there's no safe escape they're getting ready to wrap up recording for all dogs go to heaven too it has come to a head at this point he knows that she's trying to remove judith from the home that the catch 22 is he can't live without his daughter's money and income but he Mm -hmm. resents her for being more successful than him because i mean he really opened the door and then she knocked it wide open and he Mm -hmm. just 
he can't grapple with that. Um, it's cultural. It's, Mm -hmm. it's societal to some extent as well, especially during this time in the eighties, early Mm -hmm. nineties. Um, it comes to a head one night. He, they have dinner as a family. Judith goes to bed. His wife goes to bed and late that night he walks in and shoots his daughter while she's asleep and then turns around and and then turns around and shoots his wife. Um, None of the neighbors heard the shots. He gets up the next morning, goes to work, comes back later on that evening. Next door neighbor hears a loud bang and then sees fire coming from the home. He assumed it was an explosion. It turns out the father shot himself. And then set the house on fire. But had set the house on fire and then shot himself. But he Um, he went to work first. Murder murder, suicide. Uh huh. But they it took them a while to determine that he had shot himself because the neighbors reported the bang and then immediately saw flames. Mm -hmm. And so when they went in to investigate, because the house was completely burned from the inside out, Um, it was since been rebuilt. The people. It's been purchased. The same family has lived there for a while. They actually report um, kind of some weird phenomena in the hallway where he killed himself. Like, oh, it's no. like literally there's a patch of, of the hallway, like five feet, where um, it's 10 degrees cooler. And there's no vent. Oh. There's literally no reason why it should be that way. It took them a while to determine that it was a murder-suicide because when they came in, it was just a big melted mess. At this point, his, her parents were living like hoarders. Like it was, it was a mess. And then when they determined that it was gunshot wounds to the two women, and then he had obviously killed himself. So, I mean, like this happened when we were kids. Like, yeah. I don't ever remember hearing this on the news. And you would think, cause all dogs can't go to heaven came out after she died it was released in memoriam to her. And I actually tracked down an original VHS pool of it. And there's an in memoriam at the beginning of the movie. Oh, wow. I don't <laughs> yeah. recall that uh, at all. Yeah. And I don't know. I can't actually say that. This may have been a theatrical reel, not a VHS pool. But I mean, so that would have been a separate reel. But I think what it does show is highlights the struggle of a child actor, especially when they hadn't established processes and rules and regulations at that time because even then like they were still determining work labor laws and stuff like that and it kind of shines a light on you know domestic violence and it's not just physical it can be mental and what fame can do to a family if you are not equipped to but it was very much a an american dream story because he like comes over he makes a name for himself starts a family has an opportunity for his child but he just could not grapple with the fact that she had surpassed him in that respect right but for a long time her and her mother did not have gravestone they were like uh, wooden cross marked graves and about 10 years ago a group of fans who discovered the story online raised about twenty thousand dollars to get them proper gravestones they're buried together um if you google you can find a picture of it it's a really sad story but there was some change afterwards, like CPS in Los Angeles, they were audited. And it, as it turns out, and like most social workers, they were overworked 
if they were presented with a plan, you know, they were going to just say, okay, do what you say you're going to do. For me, though, as an adult, especially as a soon-to-be parent, like, I watched A Land Before Time, I don't know how many times. I mean, mm-hmm. like, come on, let's all be honest. If we went to daycare in the summertime, they sat you down in front of the TV, they pressed play, <laughs> and they went and did their thing. We all, you know, same with All Dogs Go to Heaven. It does have me, for one, I never realized it was an actual little girl that voiced that. Because we're so used to, like, Bart Simpson being voiced by a 45-year-old woman. Like, yeah. what do you do? So to know that it was an actual child voicing that and then to know what her story was, it it very much puts those movies in a very different perspective for me. Just going back and just looking at how much she did in the short amount of time, just, just with credited movie and TV roles, that doesn't even include, she did hundreds of commercials. She has 25 credits to her name between 1984 and 1989. That's a lot. Just for TV and movies. And I'm like, what have I done with my life? <laughs> like, <laughs> for real. Like, seriously. <laughs> so I, uh, that one kind of resonated with me in terms of, of subjects to talk about here. It's pretty morbid. I mean, anytime the death of a child is involved, especially at the hands of their own parent, in those situations, you always know that they're preventable. And you just, you hope, you wish that the right person had taken notice and, and had intervened and some tried, but, you know, when it's only mom that's expressing and, and, and she seems well-adjusted and fine, what do you do? Right. Yeah. It's sad. I what? would say go drink a beer after this, but you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Have Zeke. Wow. I'll ask Scott drink one for me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a heavy one. Like it was one of those that when I found that particular video, I watched it twice. Mm-hmm. And then I went out and read every single thing that I could. Like, there's the crime scene photos are on the internet. Yeah. Wow. For real. I've seen the um, meme, like, of her tombstone. I've seen that floating around the internet, but I didn't know all the details. I've just Right. Seen that and that's picture. another thing. That's an excellent, excellent PSA. Maybe you shouldn't turn everything into a meme. Yes. Just saying. <laughs> just saying. My dog... <laughs> Dorpin? Absolutely. But a child who's <laughs> murdered? No. Oh, God. I yeah, mean, like, that's for real. too much. The, what's crazy is, like, all these terrible things happened, but I still have wonderful memories of, like, going and seeing all those movies as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. in the movie theater where my feet didn't touch the ground and a bucket of popcorn as big as me, you know, and a bucket of soda, because whoever thought that was a good idea. um but and it's like you relate knowing that there was a child our age who was voicing that you kind of relate to to it and you're like wow I had a rough upbringing yours was your therapy I mean I graduated (laughs) so (laughs) but it's like my my life was hard wasn't that hard yeah I can't imagine like I my dad was an alcoholic and I dealt with a lot of emotional abuse, but it was never to that extent. And I can't imagine just yeah. how spiritual and, and, and she was so much hurt too. Part. Exactly. Yeah. Well, because she looks so young, mm-hmm. um, people, you know, thought she was one or two years younger than what she actually was. 
happens to the best of us. Um, <laughs> but, but and, and that's why she was so successful, though, because she looked when she was six, she looked for you want a toddler aged young girl who can complete mm-hmm. sentences and take direction. She's going to get it. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, she held some pretty like commercial contracts. I mean, McDonald's like craft night. I mean, like it was, in- it's insane. I mean, on average, she was at the, by the time she was six years old, she was averaging and like, we're talking like 1980s. So I don't know, I can't account for inflation, but then she was averaging about a hundred, $150,000 a year. And I mean, and, but think about that. Right. I got an inflation and then her, calculator. And then, <laughs> In 1984, so, $100,000 is 250000 today. What were you earning at that time? What were you earning? I, mean, I, I was a baby. <laughs> oh, that's right. So was I. But I mean, like, <laughs> so, so by the time, and, she, and you've got to think about it, like, the movie, like, because she was a lead role or lead actor or primary in All Dogs Go to Heaven and Lane Before Time, had she lived those royalties, that she would have been set. Oh, yeah. And and oh. with as many sequels as uh, Lane Before Time had, you know, because I think they recasted her character. I think so. I don't know. That movie wrecked me as a child. It was very sad. Well, it wrecked everybody. I yeah. don't think I rewatched it like most people did because you scar me once. I'm done. Not doing that again. I, <laughs> I, I I can safely say I've only ever seen the Lion King animated movie one time. It was okay, right well, after my that, I'm probably a masochist because I saw that like eleven times in the theater. Um, no, no, but here's but here's the thing. I've seen the Broadway show like twice and I've seen the live action, but the cartoon I can't. Like, I was so pumped about the live action because I like Seth Rogen and, uh, oh, shit, what's the other okay. guy? The guy that's like... Uh, Billy Escher. Escher. Billy Eichner, uh, yeah. So I was so Eichner, pumped about Billy Eichner and, uh, you know, Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner that I forgot about the soul-crushing, like, death scene. So I was not mentally prepared for that. And then it was not a good time. Super sad. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Hollywood is full of sad stories. This is a sad story that I put on the same level as Marilyn Monroe, right? And that's a mm-hmm. that's a very popular Judy Garland. You know, that those are really popular like stories that like everybody knows, but like this is just as tragic, probably if not more. Because I, mm-hmm. I honestly think that had she not had the end that she had, she would have been on par with like Candace Cameron. Or, you know, like that, those uh, kids, mm. child stars from that time who have a pretty solid career. She might have even yeah. had a cult following. I mean, I, technically she does now. I will say this. In the last 10 years, there's been a lot of um, attention brought to her story. And I think mm. it's because people just don't realize how young she was. And it's probably because that meme going around, too, that people just don't realize that she was young. Mm. I mean, she was less than 12 years old when she passed away. That's... That's mind-boggling. Yeah. It's very sad. Sadness. Do I still have a delay? I feel like I have a delay to you. You have a bit of a delay, but because I'm hearing impaired and I lip read, I'm good. Oh, okay. That's how I'm able to communicate with you still. (laughs) (laughs) I literally, this was the first time, I know my husband in passing had said something, but like 
Judith is such a grown-up name, right? You would expect Judy, right? And so it never clicked that it was a tiny human. Yeah. Oh, speaking of tiny humans, sorry, I'm getting kicked. <laughs> Good timing, kid. Okay, Kina, you can go now. All right. Well, thank you. I Like I said, I've seen that picture, but I didn't know any of the details of like her career, and I didn't realize she was in Jaws. So. The more you know. Yeah, I was looking it up. She, the the Jaws that she was in, she was in Jaws: The Revenge, Trapper John, Punky Brewster. She was in two episodes of Punky Brewster. Oh wow! <laughs> All right. So for regular historical, I am going to give you a ticket to the most influential forms of mass communication the world has ever known. Oh, okay. In the words of Craig Benzine. In a collaboration with PBS, so you know it's legit, he says, quote, It's a universal language that lets us tell stories about our collective hopes and fears to make sense of the world around us and the people around us. I'm sure you can tell that I'm talking about film because that is the title of the episode. So we're going to talk about the history of film from the beginning to about World War II, because this bitch was long and we would be here all night. So I'm going to split it up and I will go World War II to now next week. <laughs> That's good because I still haven't eaten dinner and I was going to be like, oh, hold up, hold up, wait a minute. <laughs> she, she's a long history. And I don't think I even realized how ridiculously long it was. But film, oh, yeah. Yeah, it goes on forever, but. I'm going to hit the mostly the evolution. So it's kind of like a sweet, sweet intersection of human culture in between like art and industry and technology and politics. Film is entrenched in everything that we do in most of our lives. And it's really inescapable. It's like trailers that have all the good parts in them. So you don't even need to watch the movie, but you do anyway. And then you're pissed. Or it's like waiting to the end of the credits for an extra scene that never shows up and then you're just pissed off because you wasted your time. It's inescapable. Yeah. Movies are in my blood. My great-grandpa Albert owned the movie theater in Flippin' Arkansas. And my peepaw was the director. (laughs) You said Flippin'. Flippin' Arkansas. Yes, they owned the Five and Dime store and the movie theater. So, good times. And then it was there that my meemaw watched a movie about a young girl being thrown into a volcano to sacrifice herself for her people. And that's how my mom got her name, Alita. And there it is. I was wondering. I was wondering. (laughs) She asked her today, I'm like, do you even know what movie that is? She's like, no, I never figured out which one it was. She's like, but that's the story. But here's what's funny is you were named after a movie. Conan the Barbarian with Arnold right. Schwarzenegger. Yes, and indeed. I was named after Katarina Witt, who won women's gold in Olympic uh, figure skating in February of 1984. And I was born in 1984 in June. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of movie names and uh, famous mm-hmm. people names. And my sister yeah. and I both worked in movie theaters, like most of our teenage and early adulthood. And most of us, if we think about, I know for me, some of the best memories I have of my dad are when we would go see Lord of the Rings, we would drive hours to go to the IMAX. 
every time the movie came out and we'd always see it on the premiere and we'd dress up and it was just like a thing we went to branson missouri from arkansas it was just like it was always a thing because he was also dead so the imax you could hear that no i get it like quotes and clothes and events everything is kind of entrenched in movie like we said in the beginning the majority of our vocabulary is movie quotes and I know that I instantly like people if they're saying a funny like Princess Bride quote. I'm like, you're my people. We're gonna be friends. I don't. Th- I don't think that means what you think it would. You think it means. <laughs> but ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking right, doggy. <laughs> I don't. I told you. I only speak in movie quotes and song lyrics. It's true. Her her vows were all song lyrics. It was very cute. It was. <laughs> hold a special place in our dark and twisty hearts and uh a lot of movies have memories with them too so like you know certain movies that i watched like my first guess was during the matrix <laughs> so like i could watch a movie and know exactly where i was i'm not gonna ju- no i am a little a little oh, I don't think- oh you did meet that one i know i met all of them anyway well. Um, so we're gonna dig into the history that got us into this nostalgic rant and it all began in a galaxy far far no we're not going that far we're gonna still be on earth but just like five thousand years ago you know five thousand years before we're netflix and chilling all right so historians seem to think that rock art might have been the first movie and that they could have used the flickering of flames to actually create the illusion of movement so that's originally the idea of where movies could have come from and just a reminder it is rock art and not cave paintings because they're not normally in caves and they are not paint so there's my history minor for you right and i use my history degree for evil you use it for good (laughs) (laughs) but now we're gonna go about 200 years ago to ye old victorian era and magic lantern shows were all the rage and accidentally kicking off what would become the evolution of film so these shows were a combination of projectile projectile (laughs) projected not projectile projected images live narration and live music the smithsonian described it as kind of like a a gif but if you like narrated or sang with it And one study estimated pretty roughly that in 1895, there were 30 to 60,000 lantern performers in the United States alone. And they would give 75 to 150 or 75,000 to 150,000 performances a year. So these things were crazy popular. That's insane. That's a lot of people. And as far as. Are you sure there's not an extra rose on that? That just seems like a like physically impossible. Yeah, it's a lot. Okay, they were very short. They were very short. You could do very a lot of performances, I'm sure. And as far as content, they were kind of like the Discovery Channel. So it'd be things like travel, science, and art. And occasionally there'd be a few that would be like storytelling, a song, or some sort of comedy. And uh, I didn't see it anywhere, but I would bet 20 bucks somebody figured out how to make this a porn. But I couldn't back that up. But that's just... <laughs> popular of these magical lanterns was a sleeping man with a really giant beard wearing pajamas and he was snoring and every time he opened his mouth to snore a whole series of rats were running down his throat into his stomach rats 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 like 
multiple like rats not z's coming out but rats going in yeah it was the victorian age who the fuck knows (laughs) bubonic clay maybe i don't know maybe maybe to achieve this effect, they, the lanternist relied on two lens devices that projected multiple images onto the same spot, and it created an illusion. So it seemed like the scenes were dissolving into one another. So it was a continuous scene. <laughs> Live science reports that the complexity like this was typical of magic lanterns. And when it was first introduced, the lanternist used candles just to illuminate the slides. So it was really simple, just a candle. But then as the century continued, it switched to light generated by burning mineral lime, oxygen, and hydrogen. Hence the phrase in the limelight. Because it had lime in it. That's witty. I didn't know that. I didn't know that's why we said that. I didn't either. But unfortunately, this combination is a threat to your health because it will explode. But not cause cancer? I mean, mine would probably blow up first. (laughs) So there were a lot of incidences of people going boom. And I thought this sounded like a fancy treat that only the rich folk partook in, but apparently it was really popular for the middle class. So I was wrong. I can admit it happens. According to the research conducted by John Plunkett, magic lanterns were a regular part of the middle class life, popping up during birthday parties, holidays, and social gatherings. Magic lantern shows were a secondary kind of drop-in anytime kind of entertainment like movie theaters are today. And the shows were generally held in meeting halls, churches, and they were advertised in papers. By the mid-19th century, stereoscopes Handheld viewers, similar to the modern virtual reality headsets we have today, began to kind of outshine magical lanterns. And these would have 3D views of European castles and caverns and the Grand Canyon. So people really liked them. And they also didn't explode. So that's a good plus. And fun fact, the University of Exeter is working on digitizing thousands of magical lantern slides right now. So you get all the fun without the explosions. Wouldn't they have to do the original process in order to capture, or are they trying to use? Probably the stills, so you can see, um, probably. Okay. That's what I'm assuming. It's just the stills, so you can see the kind of pictures in continuous motion. Anyway, more toys emerged that piqued people's interest in animation and the first was the and this is a long line of words i can't say so here we go the thaumatrope in 1824 it was basically a piece of paper with designs on the front and back and two strings that held it together so when you pull the string it flipped and made an image i think kids still do that today i don't know i don't know what kids do but i've seen it on tv so somebody's doing it and then there was the oh god Phenakishoscope of the 1830s and it was basically a giant magnifying glass with a disc in it with pictures on the edges mm-hmm. so if you looked through the reflection you saw the images yeah and then so in eight, yeah. yeah so in 1834 the zoetrope improved on this by getting rid of the mirror so that several people could look at it the other one only one person could look at it at one time All right, so in the 1870s, the praxinoscope showed up, and pictures were attached to the rim of a drum. So when they spun the drum, 
you could see the pictures in. Oh, it's like those little, like little, they have the little slits and yeah. we used to make those in summer camp all the time where yeah. you, you would do your movie and then you go. Yes. And, and I'm going to share this, share that screen. Okay. That's not a thing. Why am I doing that? Okay. Yeah. That's the most famous one. That's the very first one. Yes. This is the, if you're a Patreon, you could watch this. Hint, hint. Shameless plug. So this was done do by it. Edward Moybridge. Moybridge. <laughs> and he wanted to Moybridge. capture a movement. So he set up 24 cameras with some tripwire. And then it created this image of the horse running. It's like a jockey <laughs> and a horse. Shortly after this, Etienne Marais photographed a bird in movement using a single camera. But he used a camera that was in the form of like a rifle almost. And it did 12 pictures per second. And I guess I'd do another, but does somebody freaked out and called this witchcraft? Like, oh no, how are they moving? You witch. But it's not magic. It is an optical illusion. So British scholar Peter Mark Roger was the first to figure this out. And he called it persistence of vision. And this is a phenomenon that keeps you from seeing the black spaces in between frames of projected films. So I thought that was interesting because I didn't realize that there were still black spaces in between frames that we didn't see. Huh. Mm-hmm. So if you see an image, your brain retains that image for a fifth of a second. And if you see a new image before that fifth of a second, your brain doesn't register the black space in between it. So fuck yeah, science. What? So when a film goes 24 frames a second, your brain is like, I got you, boo. And your eyes are like, I don't see no black. And then you got the five phenomenon created by Czech psychologist Max Wertheimer. And it says that this optical illusion lets you see a series of images in rapid succession as continuous motion. So that's just saying like a flip book. You're seeing the thing moving because it's just going so fast and it's just continuous. So it's all your brain playing a trick on you. So thanks science and brains and stuff. In 1885, George Eastman created the first celluloid roll film, which allowed inventor Thomas Edison and assistant William Dixon to invent the first camera to record movement in 1891. A.K.A. Dixon did all the work and Edison did what Edison did best and take all the credit. Oh, Thomas Edison. (laughs) Have you seen the movie Tesla? It just came out. It's no. like, it tells the story of Tesla and Edison's relationship. The end of it is so effing trippy and weird, but it's actually a really good movie. Um, you should watch it. You would enjoy I it. I haven't seen it. So they created the kinetograph, which produced films that could be seen by only one person at a time in a kinetoscope. So it was just kind of like this giant podium looking thing and people would wait in line and just stare in it. And then it could only hold 40 to 50 feet of film. So that's 15 meters. And that's just like 16 seconds. So womp womp. It's like the Twitter of movies. Those are really, those are really popular for peep shows. It was actually called a peep show. <laughs> and but yeah, tried- but eventually like they would yeah. go, they would use them for peep girls too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I'm saying, I, I would bet money that all these things somehow turn into porn. <laughs> Well, I mean, they all, I mean, a rat crawling into your sleeping body, there's something going on there. I mean, we've also always liked the morbid. Humans got the morbs. So they tried to sync these 
pictures with sounds of a phonograph, but that never worked out either. So womp womp again. But that didn't stop people from lining up to catch a glimpse of these because they were just so excited about this new entertainment. Next stop, film production. They built their first production studio in the in the entire world. I didn't realize it was the whole world. And it was in West Orange, New Jersey. They spent a whole $600 building this whole production company. Fun fact, the kinetograph needed a lot of light. So they gave the studio a sunroof that retracted. And they put it on railroad tracks that were circular so that the machine would move with the sunlight in a circle. I thought that was just kind of a fun little thing. That's really genius. It is. Seems like a lot of work, but genius. And most of these movies included two major genres. First, you got your slapstick comedy, which is, if you don't know, because you're a tiny wee little lad, it is a type of physical comedy characterized by broad humor, absurd situations, and vigorous, usually violent actions. So there's no sound. So it's just being as extra as possible to show your movements and feelings. It's kind of like um, the buffoon stereotype. And it could also be acrobatic. It could be a stunt performer. Or it could be something like a magician. And then the other one is vaudeville. And it's a comic theatrical piece frequently combining pantomime, dialogue, dancing, and song. It could also have animals, plays, acrobats, and magic. Like Harry fucking Houdini. Ever heard of him? Random fact that I learned from the TV show Bones, Ooh. Clara Barton was a huge vaudeville act at that time. Oh, cool. Clara Bow, sorry. Clara Bow. Okay. Yeah. Wasn't she like the Red Cross lady? <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm, okay, <laughs> baby, sex your brain. Clara Bow was the vaudeville. Oh, Clara Barton, Red Cross. But Clara Bow, <laughs> yes. But I learned that from Bones. <laughs> yeah. So this became a mass form of entertainment of the 1880s to the 1930s before radio was widespread and before movies were even a thing. So this was just what people did for fun. It must have been so boring without the internet and cell phones and things. I I would be into the internet like six months ago. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I think the pandemic has given us all newfound appreciation for our, you know, ancestors. Like how damn bored were they to never leave their houses? Got pregnant a month after I got wedding or got married. But for all the reasons that I've mentioned, you know, the machine couldn't move. It needed a shit ton of light and only one person could look at a time meant that this was not ideal. So while most people give Edison the credit for movies, there's actually a lot of other people that did way more. So while Edison and Diggs, uh, <laughs> Dixon, not Dickinson. Focus key. There, we both made faux pas. We're doing their thing. Your brothers were like, I could do better than that. And they did. So in 1895, the Lumiere brothers invented the cinema. This is not even the hard one. Cinematography. Moving on. It was an all in one device. So it filmed the movies and then projected them. And their name means light, so that's fun. Films could now be projected onto walls and screens, and then audiences could see them. So you didn't have to wait in line to be the only person that could see it. You could see it with a bunch of people. So new socializing aspect to movies. Six feet apart. 
And this kicked off the silent film era. And it was also the birth of cinema. It was named for, you guessed it, a lack of sound. <laughs> Films from this era were in black and white, and some of them were filmed on as little as a single reel of tape. Averaging from a few minutes to over an hour, the silent film era lasted until 1929 when the talkies started. So Hollywood, in 1902, banker and real estate mogul H.J. Whitley, also known as the father of Hollywood, swooped in to grab up land in what is now Hollywood, California. So he opened the Hollywood Hotel, which is now the site of the Dolby Theater, which hosts the annual Oscar ceremony, no big deal, and also developed the Ocean View Tract, an upscale residential neighborhood. So he's like, this place is going to be big, I know it, and starts picking up land. And then Hollywood Incorporated in 1903 and merged with Los Angeles in 1910. And at that time, Prospect Avenue officially became Hollywood Boulevard. Ooh. I just thought I didn't know that. Boulevard. I did too. And how it got its name is disputed. Some people say that after Harvey and, oh Lord, what is that name? Data? I have a grandma data, but it was not spelled like this is D A E I D A. I think that's how I would say it. I think that's what I would say. Harvey and Dana Wilcox, they learned that there was a town in Ohio called Hollywood. So they were like, let's call it that. And another story says that H.J. Whitley came up with it while honeymooning. But nobody really knows. But it doesn't matter. So that was the end of that story on History.com. So thank you, History.com, for being a historical source that was like, we don't know and it doesn't matter. (laughs) It made me laugh. The first film completed in Hollywood was the 1908 The Count of Monte Cristo. But it wasn't filmed entirely in Hollywood. It started in Chicago. So the first film that made an entirely produced in Hollywood is a short film in 1910 titled The Old California. In 1911, the first movie studio appeared on Sunset Boulevard. By 1915, many major motion picture companies had relocated to Hollywood from East from the East Coast. American filmmakers Cecil B. DeMille and Oscar C. Amphil ended up in Los Angeles and decided to stay due to the constant sunshine and the landscape. Several other filmmakers moved to L.A. and it quickly became a place to film. It didn't hurt that Hollywood was an ideal place to produce movies since filmmakers couldn't be sued there for infringing on motion picture film patents held by Edison and the Motion Picture Patents Company. So anything that was filmed on his coast, he patented it and he was suing people. So people moved to California and were like, fuck you, Edison. I want to make movies. Edison's going to be on the fuck you list. I can just tell. Yes. Sounds like here he is. I think so. Yeah. I don't know why I have so much anger towards Edison. It just came out. (laughs) Maybe in a past life. (laughs) Because he, he, yeah, he's a leech. Yeah. Don't get me started on that one. I know too much. So the Hollywood sign is a must-see tourist attraction now, but it didn't start out that way. It was originally a clever electric billboard advertising for an upscale suburban neighborhood. And it originally said Hollywood Land. And it was erected in 1923 by Los Angeles Times publisher and real estate developer Harry Chandler at the cost of $21,000. Oh, what's the inflation on that one? Edison is I'm obsessed with the inflation calculator now. It's fun. I like it. So 23. Well, it kind of puts things in perspective. Yes. 21,000. Yes. 2020. 
Oh shit. $319,000. That's expensive. Yeah. It's 1,420% inflation. Yeah. But still that's like a draw. It's less than a half a million dollars. I mean, it's huge. It's, it's 30 massive. feet wide by 43 or 43 feet tall. That's, I mean, that's a lot. And it originally had 4,000 light bulbs. So, it did. Yeah, a lot of light bulbs. And it was supposed to restored. last just one and a half years, but it became such a part of like Hollywood's culture that it stayed. During the Great Depression, the sign deteriorated and it was partially restored in 1949, but the last four letters were removed. And by the late 1970s, it was restored again, and it's been featured in many films. <sighs> so now we shall enter the golden age of Hollywood. It was a period of great growth, experimentation, and change in the industry that brought international prestige to Hollywood and its stars. If I could do an old-timey 20s voice, I would, but I cannot do accents. So, <laughs> Except for the one you have. <laughs> Uh, under the all-controlling studio system of the era, five movie studios known as the Big Five dominated. This was Warner Brothers, RKO, Fox, MGM, and Paramount. So these bitches have been around a very long time. And the smaller studios included Columbia, Universal, and United Artists. It's baffling to think Universal used to be the, the small guy. But here we are. And we're still at the silent era at this point. And by the 1920s, it had reached its peak. It had films like The Three Musketeers, The Covered Wagon, Ben-Hur, and movie stars like Charlie Chaplin, the Marx Brothers, and Tallulah Bankhead were like super famous. So this is the first time that people are becoming real celebrities. Meanwhile, in Germany... <laughs> Up until now, films were either about everyday life or stories about supernatural places, but the German cinema of the 1920s did something new. They introduced German expressionism. So filmmakers came up with original indoor film sets and they mastered lighting. Nobody had done that before, so it was big. And they realized that the way a scene is lit drastically affected how people feel. So they played around with soft and harsh lighting to create desired effects. Horror genre... <laughs> actually became a major <laughs> player in the film industry because of German expressionism. <laughs> One of the most famous horror directors, Alfred Hitchcock, probably wouldn't have made his most famous masterpieces if it wasn't for German expressionist movements. Films like Psycho or I Confess were heavily influenced by expressionism, and it's rather evident in the way that his films are all lighted. And the high contrast and the eerie use of shadow figures are all from the German expressionist films. And not only did expressionism inspire classic horror films, but it also inspired other genres like film noir. Modern day film, Tim Burton is a huge example of gothic style mm -hmm. expressionism. So movies like Sleepy Hollow, for example, which I'm going to watch soon because I just watched from it's hell. My ear. So anyway. Inter when does Wes Craven fall in that, that yeah, section too? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, German expression of is anything that uses light to create suspense and drama and creepy shit. And thank you, German expressionists. Now we enter to the talkies. And Hollywood producers churned out westerns, musicals, romantic dramas, horror films, and documentaries. 
Studio movie stars were even more idolized, and Hollywood increased its reputation as the land of the affluent and the famous. Filmmakers what? had to adapt to the new technology, and actors had to adapt as well. Some actors had to quit because their voices didn't match well with their image, and audiences didn't like it. <laughs> Clara Bow didn't survive the top mm-hmm. year. I mean, I that just- was the end of her career. I can't imagine if you're like a silent film star and you're amazing and then people hear your voice and they're like, nah, dog, this is a no for me. That's a voice for silent movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that sucks so bad. And then others couldn't find work because their acting was too over the top and theatrical. So they had to tone it down for the sound movies. During World War One, after President Woodrow Wilson declared war on Germany, the Big Five jumped can he, on. Wait, the, can Woodrow Wilson be on the fuck list, please? Oh yes, yes, he sucks. Thank he you. was like super okay. white supremacist dick bag. Yes, you're just racist. You're automatically on it. Why face twitch now? Anyway. During World War I, after President Woodrow Wilson declared war on Germany, the Big Five jumped on the political propaganda bandwagon. Often under pressure and guidance from Wilson's administration, they produced educational shorts and reels on war preparedness and military recruitment. They also lent out their wide roster of popular actors to promote Americans' war efforts. So think Captain America just pumping out all those propaganda films. That must have been a trip too. It's just to be in a theater watching those. I'm sure it was a yeah. quite an experience. Super intense uh, patriotism. In the 1930s, at the height of Hollywood's golden age, the movie industry was one of the largest businesses in the United States. Even in the depths of the Great Depression, movies were a weekly escape for many people who loved trading their struggles for a fictional, often dazzling world, if only for a couple of hours. And I didn't realize this, despite how fucking horrible the economy was during the Great Depression. Okay, I can't imagine it's pretty similar. (laughs) We're very close to a new depression. But anyway, it was estimated up to 80 million Americans went to the movies every single week during the Great Depression. That number blew my mind. That's a lot of people. I mean, I, 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 I can see that, though. I mean, like, it's kind of like grasping for hope, right? I mean, yeah. Like you scrape together the pennies to, you know, that little break from your current situation. I think we're all kind of living in that when you yeah. when you rationalize spending thirty dollars on a Disney Plus rental, right? Mm. Yeah. No, it makes sense now that I think about it. Like my great grandparents lost their five and dime store and they lost their uh, mechanic shop, but they kept the movie theater. So. I mean, I'm sure it probably kept them in business. That's wow. Some of the greatest films made in all of Hollywood history were made in the late 1930s, like Snow White and the Seven Drawers, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Gone with the Wind, Jezebel, A Star is Born, Citizen Kane, and The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> oh, so quick, quick point, you know, it's back to your, your point on, you know, how many people went to the to the uh, movie during the Great Depression, you also have to remember that was how news was delivered. Oh, that's true. You know, aside from newspapers and radio, they would do Mm -hmm. news film reels um, going into movies. And that's how most people got their 
their wartime news at that time. That's true. That's very true. And French films made in the 1930s uh, reflected how ordinary people were dealing with the war. So this was the first time that it was kind of a response to how people were actually handling everything happening. And it was called Poetic Realism. And it treated real subjects in an imaginative way. So instead of moving, most movies were either super fantastical or super realistic. So there was nothing kind of real, but not. And then Technicolor was first introduced in 1932. Before then, color was added to film by painting the photographs or by stenciling systems that cut out sections of the frame and then tinted them. Both options were very time consuming. I can't, I wouldn't want that job. No, thanks. And, and even if you worked your ass off, it didn't look natural at all. So film shot, shut, shot in Technicolor used a three strip camera that captured the scene in cyan, magenta, and yellow, and then put these colors together. With Technicolor, red and yellow looked brilliant. So nearly every film from the 30s onwards had a fire scene because it looked bomb. <laughs> The three-strip cameras were very heavy and were usually supported by a tripod. As a result, Technicolor films were rarely shot outside. The Three Little Pigs was the first film made in Technicolor. Okay. Fun fact. And another fun fact, there was a lot of failure before the success of Wizard of Oz. It was filmed using the Technicolor process number four. Failed a whole lot before they got to the beautiful, majestic creature that is the Wizard of Oz. And it is beautiful and majestic. It is. And it's just such an interesting way to do part of the movie in black and white and then boom, color. It was just brilliant. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you're coming, but it has to do with its place in history and time. You're coming off the Great Depression. You find yourself in the midst of, you know, going into another war, right? Mm -hmm. And it's political in the sense that it shows that, that very stark contrast of, the world we live in versus the world we want to be in where there is not a care in the world, but even then there's still a care in the world. Yeah. Right? That's true. Sorry. <laughs> you can never escape drama. <laughs> <laughs> and as world war two dominated news headlines, people needed a laugh more than ever. And Hollywood was happy to oblige. Movie studios created scripts for their funniest comedians, such as Bob Abbott, Luke Costello, Bob Hope, and Jack Benny. Pre-movie cartoon reels started showing up to have audiences laughing, and they were also used to promote war propaganda in a lighthearted way this time. War one apparently too dark. Let's make it funny this time, guys. <sighs> Man. And on a serious note, they had documentary newsreels that brought the realities of war to life in ways many audiences had never experienced before. But things actually changed in Hollywood during this war. Movie studios had to prepare for the civil defense and erected elaborate bomb shelters. And filming from the sea or near military installations was now banned. And they also had nighttime blackout rules that prohibited filming at night. So this war, all the movies kind of got shut down a little bit more than the first one. And then in 1942, the War Production Board initiated a maximum of $5,000 budgets for all new film sets, forcing movie studios to cut corners, recycle props and equipment, and find creative and cheap ways to produce movies. Yep. World War II, everybody was affected. If you weren't working a job for the war, at the war, or creating propaganda for the war, or you were a nurse, everybody was doing something. So it was very... uh, 
a wild time. And many movie stars actually enlisted. So you have Clark Gable, Henry Fonda, Jimmy Stewart, Mickey Rooney, and Hollywood actresses like Rita Hayworth, Betty Grable. Gable, right? Betty Gable? Grable? No, Betty Grable. Grable, okay. Clark Clark Gable, Betty Grable. That's what I'm... Yeah, there we go. Betty Grable and Lana Turner lent their sensual appeal to the war effort by becoming pinups. Which, fun fact, if you were in Arkansas, go to the Arkansas Military Museum. And uh, I worked on an exhibit there on pinups. It's really great. You should go look at it. It is. Hey, uh, kind of side note, but it is related. Mm -hmm. Do you know the story of Hedy Lamarr? I don't think so. Hedy Lamarr was a Hollywood uh, starlet who invented modern-day Wi-Fi during this time. She was Tinker. There is a um, Netflix documentary. She tried to get it patented, and basically the government stole her idea. Well, that sounds like absolutely. And she died destitute. Yeah, you like you like you you should have Scott on just to talk about like that because it's 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 great historical, but I mean like it's 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 a amazing story, but a very tragic story because she died destitute. I mean, and like the government pretty much just stole her idea once her patent application expired. Yeah. But modern day Wi Fi is based off of her idea. Yeah, sorry. No, you're fine. That's amazing. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, just summing this up, a lot of Hollywood movie stars use their fame to sell war bonds. So, again, if you ever watch Captain America, I almost said Marvel, Captain America, where he's selling (laughs) war bonds. Wrong, maybe. Also, a lot of actresses worked for the USO during the war. But yeah, so we're going to end it here. And then next week, I will go from post-war to present. Because even today, movies can't work because COVID. So I'll get into that. And then I'll end it with the weirdest movies ever made. (laughs) Oh, that's going to be a fun (laughs) list. (laughs) Cabin Fever isn't on there, if only for the pancake scene, which okay. was an ode to Quentin Tarantino. Yes. Yes. I'm I remember just saying. It was the teens <laughs> at the library. They kept on talking about the unicorn. And I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, Miss Tina, you have to go home and watch this and then report back. And then I saw the unicorn scene. I was like, I get it now. <laughs> right? So excited. It's an ode to Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. such a good movie. I actually really liked it. I I didn't expect to, but I really did. Man. So thank you so much for joining me. So I'm sorry mine was such a downer and was like I was so it was so I had to go through it quick like a band-aid because it's such a downer. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like a shot of tequila. The quicker yeah. it goes down, the easier it is to swallow. No. I think we made up. We got to talk about Wizard of Oz and all that. So I think we made yeah. up. Yeah. Except for, I actually, Wizard of Oz was on my short list because of all the munchkins that died and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. The actors. Yeah. It was actually on my short list of topics. A lot of really cool conspiracy theories and stuff, too. I keep on hoping I'll eventually yeah. do a whole thing on it. Like, the yeah. Mystery. I agree. If you do a whole episode on, on Wizard of Oz, you know. I will be offended. You will never see your nephew ever. <laughs> no, <laughs> ever. absolutely. I, like, absolutely. I, I'm, 
I'm still here for Broadway too. Oh, on a random side note, so while vaudeville died in film, it did transition to Broadway, and that is what with the birth of Broadway. Just saying, yeah, just out there. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do one thousand percent intend on doing a whole episode just on Broadway theater. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sign me up. Too much to talk I mean, about. To just do like one segment. I'm like need need six, please. Love. I love mean, I could totally sketch out a show for you right now and like hit the highlights of both musical and straight uh, plays. Yeah, I did vocal lessons when I was, uh, I was like a teenager or something, and it was just all Broadway. Ugh, it was amazing. Uh, I mean, I went to college on a theater scholarship. I was musical theater and Shakespeare. Those were my two. Um, somehow I came out pre law. The history, <laughs> economic, and political science degrees. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. Okay. Well, I had fun. This was great. I, I've I've done the the gab, but this was really entertaining, and I hope I didn't mess you up. No, not at all. It was really fun. Thank you for having me again. I look forward to the Broadway one. Yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I do apologize for the slight delay. In this episode, oh, I hate technology. It's giving me a face twitch. But anywho, thank you, Katrina, again for joining me. I really enjoyed your story. It was a, a bit on the morbid side. But you know what? Sometimes you have to have your heart broken because somebody's story deserves to be told. And I'm so glad I know more about her. She was a huge fixture of things I watched as a child. And I am shocked I didn't know about her. So thank you for telling me that story and joining me. And I have some really amazing shout outs this week, guys. First, Leanne has joined as a Spicy AF Patreon. And I am so excited. She was one of our earliest patrons back in the day and had to leave because, you know, life is just a uh, cruel, cruel mistress sometimes. But she's back and I'm so excited. She is such a lovely person and I love following her on Instagram and, and she has a knitting page and it just blows my mind that people can knit like that because I cannot. <laughs> and she's also sent us some amazing listener stories that make me cry. So that's fun including this past month with the kitty cats, Christian and Anna. Ooh, that really tucked in my heartstrings. But thank you so much, Leanne. I'm just so excited that you're back. Uh, it just makes my my heart so happy. And next, I just want to give a huge shout out to Taru, our first international patron. She increased her pledge from Majestic AF to Brilliant AF. And I'm just so excited. We have a secret Facebook page and she posts like the most incredible stuff and it makes me so happy. So every time I see that there is a notification from Taru, I know I'm about to laugh and she's just such a positive and wonderful person and it makes me want to go to Finland really, really bad. (laughs) Thank you both. And thank you to all of my Patreon fam. You guys make my face twitch less severe because you all bring me so much joy and happiness and if you would like to join patreon and watch these live and comment along and be a part of our secret facebook page and get all the cool new benefits including new stuff that are shipping out right now so if you're a patreon member check your mail because i'm sending out sticker packs and if you get a koozie those are coming out and if you get birthday cards and gifts Like, lots of things are coming out in the mail. (laughs) So keep a lookout for that. 
And that is patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And as always, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at historical AF pod. You can email me at historical AF pod at Gmail. If you have a story, I am just begging for your spookiest tales so that we can have that for our live recording this Halloween. And there'll be more details on that coming soon, but we will be streaming live to YouTube and be having a party, possibly with some extra VIP party afterwards. Stay tuned. Details to come. (laughs) That's about it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Okay, bye!